Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week of Parramatta and NRL happenings are my good mates, Sixties and Quint. Uh, fellas, I'll throw to you now, but it's on a somber note, Sixties. Um, hope you're holding up well, mate. But uh, how are you doing? Um, well, I, I can't lie about, you know, what the last week has been like um you know it's probably been the worst week of my life um so but what i wanted to do just to start off with is to thank all of the everyone who's responded to the post about dad um it it was a matter of look it it, it i found it very um comforting to have the wonderful responses that were there and um and it it helped me uh when when i was able to get up because i wasn't really able to put anything up there and dad passed on thursday and I, i obviously it was a bit hard for me to put some words together and i didn't i didn't want to jump into doing social media platform posting or anything like that and then uh, I think from memory, uh, I was able to put this together to put out on Sunday and we had a lot of people read it and uh, many people reply with some kind words and um, words of comfort. And that was lovely. And I really want to thank everyone who did so. And all the people who also reached out to me with direct messages, texting, phoning, it's, um, you know, it. it it's wonderful to have so many people out there who extend offers of um, help or um, just support and um, or just simply asking, are you okay? It really does uh, make you feel part of, you feel good about the community and about your friends. And, you know, so again, thank you to everyone who did that. And uh, for a lot of people have asked me when we were having Dad's service. So in case there's anyone there that I haven't managed to reply by text or or uh, other forms of messaging or phone calls, Dad's service will be at Castlebrook at midday on Monday. So um, hopefully, uh, because we're not we're not doing any. Um, obituary notice in the newspapers or anything like that so hopefully just by us letting people know a bit of word of mouth and also here on tct that um you know i I have managed to let everyone know when uh, when the service is so yeah and and thank you to uh fellas for um reaching out to me as well during this time it's um dad lived a dad lived a long life but as both of you know with how unwell he'd been over the last decade, that a lot of my routines were based around, um, you know, dad's needs. And um, 
it's things have been pretty busy obviously since dad passed with a lot of making a lot of arrangements and what have you and it's sort of like a little bit of a new chapter of uh, the life going into with um uh, i still got mum to take care of but um uh, and you know what just now that we're ready to start talking about football i'm going to say here's what i took full advantage of tonight yoko said to me craig you need to get onto the podcast and talk about some football now if yoko's telling me i have to talk about football <laughs> hey i've got to, i've got to grab that with both hands so um i'm here and um and and thank you also fellas for uh, you know, making a few changes to our podcast this week and our day. We love, you, we love you, mate. We love you, mate, and the community out there loves you. It's a thing. Thanks, fellas. And Quint, um, how you doing, mate? I know you know our week's been a little bit better than Craig's, obviously, but uh, it's been a, a rough one in terms of football stuff as well. Yeah, look, um, I, I, look, I, I'll be honest. I've just been largely thinking about our friend Craig and, you know, um, um, it's very common when um, people experience things like that to internalize your own experiences with things like that. Um, however, you know, from, because of, uh, you know, and I'll, hopefully I'm not speaking out of term when I, when I reference this for you as well, John, we've had our own experiences in both losing a parent and, um, you know, we, we know exactly what our friend's going through. So, you know, Football um, has been happening, but it's um, been in the backseat because you know, we love our mate and we care about our mate. And you know, equally so to echo his comments, I'm, I, I'm, I was so glad to see everything um, that was um, all, the, all the comments on the on on the post Craig shared, and likewise um, throughout the Twitter feed. You know, it's, it's really heartening to know that the, the Eels and rugby league communities out there um, supporting him and. Um, uh, as are we all during this time. So, you know, um, to be put, to, to answer your question, uh, my heart and thoughts have been largely in that space, if I'm brutally honest. Mm-hmm. So let's talk some football. Um, we'll be obviously uh, responsible about it. But uh, before we do, quick shout out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn and Rowan and Parramatta, helping us get the show out to each and every one of you for each episode. All right, boys, let's talk some football. Yeah, tough week for the Parramatta Eels, fellas, uh, going down in two fronts, uh, in the Jersey flag and the NRLW. Uh, the flag, unfortunately, we said it in our sort of our run through to the finals, that the only thing that could stop them really, despite there being some talented opposition, was themselves. And we saw that in full action out at Leichhardt Oval on Saturday, going down 31-18 to to Sydney Roosters. Full credit to the Roosters, they played some good football. Their halfback in particular, uh, who was, let me just check his name... Uh, he had the 24. Yeah, Cassius T. I thought he was very good in this game. Very difficult to bring down. Big unit for a mm. halfback. Uh, but the Roosters were able to take full advantage of the Eels, really struggling to get through their sets in the second half. Eels went in at half time with a very healthy lead. I think it was along the tunes of uh, 16. Eight, eight, 
1810. 1810, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, 1810. So, not a you know, game winning lead by any means, but a very healthy lead. Unfortunately, in the second half, it felt like they could not get past halfway without making an error. And uh, on the flip side, whenever the Roosters were in their half, they were getting spotted a, a penalty. Some of that I thought was some terrible officiating. I, you know, not making excuses for the Eels. I thought there was some bad, very bad officiating at times in this game. But in general, I thought the Eels were just very, very poor. Um, and it sucks to see them bow in, uh, in this sort of manner, uh, knowing that they could have won the title from where they were at, you know, being, looking for a ticket to the grand final for winning that game. But... Uh, maybe they uh, come back bigger and better from the loss with a bit of hunger in 2024 to play more meaningful football, perhaps. Yeah, it, this was a match that I was watching on the live stream. Of, for obvious reasons, I wasn't out at uh, Leichhardt Oval, but I was watching bits of the live stream. Not, it was a little bit disjointed, so um, if I'm a little bit disjointed in my comments, that's the reason why. Uh, but I, w- I was so looking forward to what I was hoping was going to be a grand final appearance this week. Um, I, I want to send out a-, a really special thanks to uh, Coach uh, Craig Brennan, uh, Mardo, the team manager, all the staff, the players. In uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, um, I've been made very welcome down there at Eels training and with the captain's run. And um, uh, I'd been uh, able to sit in on the video session and uh, the team meeting and, um, and was, I was due to do that last week as well. So I was, you know, I was looking forward to this being um, some, great coverage that we would be able to provide on TCT, some insights into into what was going to be a, a grand final week and trying to document the grand final week for them. Um, but Craig has now uh, finished his uh, responsibilities with the Eels. He's uh, He won't be coaching at the club next year. It's obviously we're um, disappointed to see that there isn't... Um, that that he's that he won't have a role continuing with the club. He's a fantastic bloke, a great coach. He's he's been someone that um, has provided us with some tremendous insights into the young players coming through, and helped us in our coverage on TCT. Um, it, it's hard to to say enough good things about about Craig. He's a he's a tremendous mentor for young players and. And uh, whilst we're sure that Jordan Rankin is is going to do a good job with the uh, Jersey Flag team next year, you, I also, it's also impossible to ignore the role that Craig Brennan's played in so many of these young players because we've been familiar with him from uh, not just the um, Jersey Flag but also uh, his his coaching role in, in junior reps before that. And again, uh, John and I, we've been privileged to be uh, part of video analysis and um, and uh, team meetings and captain's runs and the sort of access that we've been allowed as part of our coverage of junior reps has been nothing short of sensational. And, and it wouldn't be possible without um, coaches like like Breno and and we also have to have to say the same uh, like Steve O'Day mm-hmm. has, has has given us 
um, tremendous access as well. Chris Howard is also, um, he won't be coaching at the Eels next year. And the same with Chris. The Again, the, the insights, the access, the um, just making us feel as if we're we're part of the group, part of what's happening through the year. And, of course, uh, I mean, obviously we provide the uh, official uh, uh, match reports for uh, the Parramatta Eels on, on the junior reps, but to be given that sort of access is great. Um, same with Ryan Walker with the Tasha Gale team. Also um, wonderful access just... And, and being able to pick up the phone and talk to these fellas about, you know, what's happening with the team and, um, and uh, yeah, just, I mean, to, to know about the players that we're uh, commenting on is a, a huge advantage for us in what we do. And, um, yeah, they've just been um, great people to deal with. Um, Ryan won't be the coach of the Tasha Gale, uh team next year. I believe he's moving into another role. Um, within the within the club, it's I it, I believe it's a bit of a promotion for Ryan. So um, congratulations to him. Shah Henry will be taking over the coaching role for the uh, for the uh, Tasha Gale team. But again, and I'm rambling a bit. Um, our thanks to all those coaches, and yeah, that special thanks to uh, Craig Brennan and wishing him well. And um, I'm just hoping that we see him around the traps because he's a real Parramatta bloke. Mm-hmm. He's a he's mm-hmm. Parramatta to the core, blue and gold to the core, and just a quality human. And I'm sure we are going to see him around the traps, um, coming out and watching the team. So um, uh, would have been great if the team had been able to send him out on a high. It would have been a hell of a double, yeah, doing the the, oh. ball, the ball flag double. Uh, and we mm-hmm. knew, we never had the talent. It was not never about the talent. It was just about having that one, not even game, that one half where you slip up and you just become your own worst enemy. And unfortunately, the Roosters, the minor premiers who only dropped a couple of games all season, well, they're more than capable enough of uh, being able to, you know, take full advantage of the sort of opportunities offered by the Eels in the second half. And mm-hmm. yeah, they really just they really just fell apart and went completely away from the game plan. Just yep. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was real unfortunate, and and you can see what can happen. You could have some of the most talented players in the in the team, but if they if they can't if they don't work together in a particular match, if they fall away from the game plan, if things just don't work well, um, I, I guess we saw what the result can be. But that doesn't take away from what was a tremendous back half of oh, the season. Incredible I run! I think mm. they won something like nine out of the last 10 or 10 out of the last 11 mm. games in that run. And, you know, there was – and I contend we never saw their best football. I know what their best game was, but we never – I don't believe we saw their best football. I don't believe that they played to their true potential um, because there was always that that um, error mm-hmm. or two – too many that was in there or and I guess what we're talking about is an age team isn't it like you know they're they're still they're still learning their craft and they're learning how to be Mm. uh, professional footballers and I think the Roosters team were a little bit older and um, they steadied the ship in a match where they needed to got the job done so congratulations to them yep 
And, uh, I mean, you speak about it being a young team, Craig. I'm not sure how long the Jersey Flag can contain some of these players. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there's a whole stream of them that I, I hope will be part of the NRL preseason, at least up until Christmas. Um, but then after that, who knows where their future lies in 2024 and beyond. Is it, you know, Flag Cup? Uh, maybe, you know, if, if crazy long shot happens, maybe there could be a, you know, not a full-time job in the NRL, but maybe a, a little cameo or spotlight at some point later in the season if uh, injuries or suspension open the door. So very much a, a positive wait and see there. Uh, but and, and can I just can I just say as well that there are probably going to be players, well, no, not probably, there will be players deserving of a pre-season that won't get it. Mm. And... The reason for that is that there are just limits to the numbers and then the the Eels have to select, the coaches have to select, um, perhaps the re, you know people re- responsible for recruitment and retention might have some say because there is a, there is a, a dollar element involved as well um, because there's contracts that have pre-seasons written into them and those sorts of things. It's a, it's a, a complex process getting a pre-season. It might be a bit more than what people mm. realise because, you know, the, the players that get a pre-season, they get, you know, they get money based on the amount of uh, time that they are putting into the club during a pre-season. If they're training full-time during the week with with that, um, players have it written into their contracts going forward that, you know, in a certain year they might be entitled to um, a certain number of weeks of a pre-season or a full pre-season or or maybe they become they go onto the full time uh, training contract. They might have a development deal. There's a whole range of different contracts that can involve a preseason. And as I said, there will be players that will miss out and would be deserving of getting it. And you you might hear of uh, some rumblings or what have you. And they're probably they're probably well founded as far as the individual player is concerned. Um, and it's just. I guess calls have to be made and, and there'll be people who agree and disagree with the calls that are made. It's Yeah, yeah like you said, it. it's more complex than it seems on the surface. You can't just mm. say, you're a good young player, let's throw you into the preseason. Like you said, there is a monetary sort of cap element assigned to it. Um, there are some players which I, I think are probably relative no-brainers. You're talking about young Bud Zafa, Blaze Talungi, Richard Penasini. Um, I think Ethan Sanders was... Uh, probably a shoe-in prior to signing of Canberra. I don't know if that's changed the uh, scenery there. Um, one player, yeah. though, one player, though, I mean, you look at that team, and in terms of players that are worthy of it, you got Arpa Tweedle, uh, obviously uh, Blaze Talungi, Richard Penasini, you got Lynn, Sanders, Parker, Woods, Jonte, Brazel, I mean, Tupo and Lenars, equally so. If, if they're, you know, I don't know what their contract status of the club is, but if they're here, they could definitely do it. Gaima, Tuavaiti, Will Ladu. Like most of the team could definitely be in the contention for it, but one player I think I don't know if he's going to get like be part of that puzzle. But the one player I think we I want to see would be Ethan Martin. I you know he he really mm. lit up the uh, that you talk about those nine or ten games they won sixties and he was a huge factor coming to the club late in the piece and he just he looked like the sort of player where things were constantly happening when he was on or near the ball. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I mean Clint, how how much do you how much benefit is a preseason going to be to someone of relative inexperience like Ethan Martin? Uh, 
the best way of describing it is that it, it'll slingshot his development. <laughs> um, you know, it's the other part of this equation that, uh, and you, you gentlemen have, have um, summarized it very beautifully, that the, the predicament that exists there with it is, you know, um, the other factor is that um, there's positions that we want to develop because it's about succession planning and, um, and trying to uh, potentially strengthen weaknesses or perceived weaknesses. Um, or, you know, maybe that's an unkind word, maybe, maybe, um, um, the opportunities that exist within the senior NRL squad, but um, a, a, a full preseason and and, and um, uh, having full time training in the environment because in in a team environment, you know, it, it, you 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 almost want to be um, one of those development players, and you know, I'm going to use quote unquote, and I don't mean this comment with any disrespect, but. You know, around the senior guys, and if you're if you're um, one of the development players who's been invited to a preseason, you're going to be physically and and probably skill wise one of the weaker players there. And the reason I say that it slingshots your development is because um, you are who you associate with, and being in an environment and 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 constantly around that level and that caliber of player is going to elevate them themselves, you know, which is ultimately what you're trying to achieve in 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 offering the preseason to, to the young boys. So, um, yeah, to, to, to answer your question directly, um, it, it, it would be monumental for someone like him because, you know, the raw talent is absolutely there. And, you know, he's only, is it six, nine months that he's been with us now? Um, you know, oh, it wouldn't, uh, even be, and, wouldn't even be six months, Quint. So, you know, um, you think um, what two months of NRL um, preseason would do for him, um, two and a bit months. Oh wow! You know, um, considering what he what he achieved in the back end of this year in that grade, being around the senior players, having two months of preseason, you know, it, it may very well elevate someone like Ethan Martin straight into New South Wales Cup in the early early parts of next season. He is flag eligible next year, isn't he, Craig? No, I don't think so. No, he is cup. Okay. okay. So then, yeah, that becomes the the. Well, there you go. That's that's a fair comply with that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I've 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 got it. I've got it in my head that he turns 21 this year because he was older than the um, the other boys. Um, look, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's 20 this year, but um, he's he was definitely older than the. He was one of the older players mm. in the group, and as as you know, John, he's he's spent uh, a few years travelling yeah. around the world with rugby union. And so, and um, yeah, I mean, obviously that that team is very talented across all phases, all facets, all positional groups. But it's the sort of that trio of outside backs in Martin, Talangi, and Panasini that probably have the best opportunity to make a move in a preseason. So be keen to see what sort of opportunities they get and if they can take advantage of it. Um, and would you say, looking at um, the at this the back end of the season, and we were seeing uh, Blaze Talangi. Having to play, um, and, and the same happened in SG Ball, playing out in the centres, and I, he just seems like this year. I thought he he took his game to a whole new level. He was doing things out there that just were stamped of class, just stamped yeah. class all over his his form. But it was, you know, so. I think he could be one of these players that 
um, we see in the back end of next season, maybe getting mm. uh, getting an appearance in the top grade. And we don't like to, uh, you know, put too many expectations on a player. But, yeah. No, it, but it, it was, it, it's the signs are there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, anyway, I guess we wait with bated breath for who we get to see in the in the preseason, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, for someone like Ethan Martin, well, you can imagine what it, what um, a preseason in the gym and that intensive training, and and mm. Clint, you spoke before about you are who you associate with, you know, in. Uh, mm. And, and we, we can see that sometimes when players go up through the grades and they get better as they go up through the grades. But conversely, conversely, you want those players, when they go get a pre-season, really to be ready for it. Over the years, we see I've seen players who haven't been ready and they've literally wasted. Uh, for, like for some of them, they got, they got one shot. Mm. turned up not being ready barely lasted like you know week two weeks maybe three weeks into it gone gone Mm. you know like you you haven't turned up ready for this mate you know i'm sorry you have to go back and train with the jersey flag or or you know you have to go back and train with uh, blokes on second tier deals we'll we'll see you in the season proper sort of scenario and yeah it, it has happened over the years and it, and it again it's it's not so much a, a, a matter of talent when that happens it's you know that early part of the preseason it's are you up for the physical demands of the preseason so I just hope and I'm sure it's going to be the case because I think a lot of the boys that get a preseason there's going to be ones there that did the jet squad work during the year. And if they did the jet squad work, that was a real like a preseason to the preseason. So um, yeah, I, I I thank all those young blokes for a, a great season, and wish them well heading into the preseason. Yes, sir. Definitely one to keep an eye on, and I'm sure your preseason training reports will feature them prominently. Um, but if it was a bad weekend for our boys in the flag, it was a horror weekend for our girls in NRLW. They got pasted 56 to 6 by the Cronulla Sharks in a match featuring plenty of eels and ex-eels on both sides of the field. Uh, unfortunately for our girls, it's the uh, first ever 50-plus score conceded in the history of the competition. They were a risk of doing it earlier in the season, I think, against Newcastle and uh, maybe one other game, but they managed to hold on, and this one it wasn't the case. Cronulla running riot tries to Preston, Dimmick, Johnston, Staples, Ravix, Biddle, Saunders, and uh, then doubles to Johnston, Biddle, and Ravix from there. The Eels managed to avoid the shutout with a late try to Monique Donovan, uh, with Rachel Pearson converting from out wide, but that was really the only only, uh, positive to come out of this game. The girls just completely outclassed in a a game where it looked like they were just running on fumes. They've had a a tough few weeks against some of the heavyweights of the competition in the Sydney Roosters and the Gold Coast Titans, and they got to this game with uh, not much on the line, given that the the wooden spoon was all but theirs, given... uh, our results have played out throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, they would have needed a big win over the Sharks in order to qualify for the second-last spot, and, yeah, it just didn't come their way. Uh, defensively, I think the scoreline speaks for that. 
Um, the line speed just really wasn't there when they were defending in the red zone. They just didn't like, and they were on on the try line. They just didn't get off the line, did nope. they? I mean, Way too passive. When you when you when you're passive on your try line, and you've got a, an opposing forward just rampaging hard at you, you there's not much you can do to hold them up. They like they're literally they were literally charging into the Eels defenders bouncing off them and, and just dropping to the ground to score. Yep. And it was as it was as simple as that. It's um yeah, I, I you had the sense that they were glad when the season was over. It was as you said, they had a lot of injury challenges early in the season and the the year had got away for them before they even started. And unfortunately they probably saved their worst performance for their last. Yeah, they, they were on fumes. Mm. Like, like I said, a tough fortnight against two contenders in the Roosters and the Titans where they'd been uh, given the business in both games, to be you know pretty brutally honest. And yeah, it felt like they were sort of checked out and ready to, uh, you know, not for Mad Mother and like that, but just get the season over. And yeah, the Canal Sharks took full advantage of it, played some great football. I mean... The sort of confidence they were playing off was kind of crazy. Ellie Johnston, who I enjoyed her time at Parramatta, I thought she was a, a very talented forward, at one point was part of a big broken play movement where she got the ball midfield, was running down the right edge and threw a 20-meter cutout pass for the try assist to the winger. And we're talking about a, a you know big rumbling prop forward that uh, was playing halfback in the, in the context of that play. So they were you know playing with... Wild confidence in that game, and you know, full credit to the Sharks. They played a, a great brand of footy. Our girls, you know, happy to shut the books on a pretty disappointing year uh, between injury, suspension, and a very, very slow start. They sort of cost themselves any realistic chance of getting into the finals very early on. And yeah, now they have to build for next year. And uh, speaking of, they also had their uh, equivalent of the Ken Fournette medal for them, which. Uh, I believe it's still, is it just billed as the NRLW? I think yeah, I think it's just the NRLW Awards night right now. There is no affiliated name, given that the competition is so young into its infancy uh, for the Parramatta Eels. But uh, top winner or top winner of the top gong was Abby Church, who was our crown player of the year. Cassie Toihiku was named the player's player. So no surprise for those two players, I think, fellas. Uh, I mean, I, I probably mm. would have had it round the other way. I thought that Cassie was by far our best player. Um, but, you know, the sort of the way the, the points went went the other way. But Abby, to her credit, I thought was very good fullback. So it's not like it was a disgraceful decision by any means. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I couldn't argue with Abby because in a team where the fullback can often be left isolated and look as if they're struggling, uh, you know, when there's so many line breaks that are made, I, I'd like to have a, a figure on how many um, try saves yeah. that she made. Very, ball, very good on the ball. high ball. A lot of great ball and all tackles at the last line of defense. Um, she had a few cases of the dropsies early in the season, but that really tidied up uh, even before the midway point, and she was very you know efficient from there. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that she found ways to be productive without really being given a lot of opportunities to you know get downhill and attack the way some of the other fullbacks in the competition might enjoy. So, yeah, Abby, very good. Uh, I mean, Cassie, we already spoken about her at length on the podcast, but she is a really like a breakout superstar there for the Parramatta Eels. And if they lose her, then uh, they deserve, you know, to be running last pretty much every season moving forwards. 
So get get the job done there. Other reward or recipients, sorry, not acipients, that's not even a word, uh, but other reward recipients include Mahalia Murphy, who took out the Coaches Award. Uh, I thought Mahalia was really strong when she made that move to the back row, so well done to Mahalia. Uh, and then we go down to the Community Award winner, who was Chantel Stowers. Uh, so well, well done to Chantel. And then... Um, I believe that uh, also the Blue and Gold Army Award, so the Members Award, went to Abby as well. She picked up the uh, the big double there, the fan vote and the overall gong. So well done to all reward recipients. And then yeah, hopefully. I have a question. I have a question for Clint here, and uh, just with regard to the team, because the based on on form, based on results. The Eels were a long, long way off being um, competitive this season. Mm. And, and then, then when you break down some of the players that are on the Eels roster and you, and you end up, you go, oh, yeah, that, yeah, she's got a lot to offer. She's got a lot to offer. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of promise there. And there's, I think there's a whole lot of players who are in the group of um, – you know, could develop into a good player or, or even ones that are returning to the game, you know, that there is potential that they've got a, a winner there. However, it just didn't happen for them. And it's obvious that there's uh, maybe one or two key signings in certain positions that they might to make or maybe a tweak or two to things. Um, like one thought that I had, was whether Abby Church could play within the halves and Cassie Toeheku at fullback, because I think Abby's got she's got great pace off the mark. She's got a good passing yeah. game. You're talking about the sort of the Luke Burt conundrum, but actually pulling the trigger on the move <laughs> instead of uh, keeping him out in the backs. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, look, I, I just. I think there's something that needs to be done, but well, if you've got talk a, a me, control, talk me, talk me through it, Clint. I mean, how many changes, how many players do you think they need to bring in to be competitive, or is it a matter of um, they have to tweak who they've got there? Um, do you think Dean Witter's coaching job is on the line, and that they are likely to make minimal changes to the roster and instead maybe change the coach? Talk me through what you think is going to happen. I think. All of these things are valid questions that should form part of a post-season review. And you know, obviously, um, CEO Jim Starantinos uh, sent out a club email, uh, I think it was a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago now, um, informing the fan base that um, as such would take place at the conclusion of all um, of all senior football and, and also including the flag within that. Um, yes, but I think, I think they're all valid questions. Look, uh, for me, the one I can directly answer is that, I, I, you know, as good as Abby was at fullback, I think we've got a real weapon in, in Cassie Toehiku that needs to be unleashed at fullback and, and having her hands on the ball as much as possible. But, you know, I, it, it's, it's an equally good question that you pose um, with that supposition, Craig, is that, you know, Abby's also quite good and we shouldn't be limiting her involvement. So potentially a move to six might be on the cards for her. You're like, um, you know, I know initially in the season, my thoughts were just to switch Abby and, and Cassie around and, 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 and see what happened. But 
you know, obviously Abby had a very, very good season and, and improved her value with ball in hand. Um, and I, I think that's an idea potentially worth exploring, certainly within um, the NRLW preseason when they're doing their, their opposed sessions and their drills just to, just to see if there's a, a connection there. But, you know, it's also worth noting, you know, um, I know that you gentlemen both rate uh, Rosemary Beckett quite highly and, you know, she's she's a more more of a seven than a six, but you know, do we uh, another year under her belt and another preseason under her belt? Do we look to try and integrate her into the side and um, on on a full time basis next to Rachel Pearson? Um, you know, the, 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 those are other questions. You know, likewise um, for someone like Lindsay Tui, um, you know, who who would have benefited from having some appearances um, at the back end of the NRLW season there. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, gents. I think she's still eligible. Yeah, still Gale. Still Gale eligible. Yeah, she was first year. So, you know, um, she could very well have a, a Tasha Gale season into a, a, um, a Harvey Norman Premiership season into the NRL season, uh, NRLW season. So, um, you know, the, 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 there's a couple of plays and options that you think of there. But um, circling back to some of your other points, other questions there, Craig, look, you know, um, the fact of the matter is, of um, we we love Dino, and you know he 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 was certainly a fan favorite as a player, and um, a, a, a very impressionable gentleman of of the game. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is the girls over the first three seasons, you know, um, apart from um, making the grand final last year, which came off the back of just squeezing in with a sole victory in the season um, to make the semi-finals and and having an upset. In a grand final qualifier, in a semi-final match, um, they, they've got a, they've got a very negative record, and some things need to be tweaked. Whether that's um, you know the the way in which they approach the season and the um, you know the, the the preparation of and 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 tactically how we go about things. The fact of the matter is, defense is just going to have to be a focus, regardless of of the um, the wider player group and 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 who who takes the field next year. But, um, you know, the, it, it's been a losing record thus far. So, you know, there's, there's some things that definitely need to come into question. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who likes to put the blowtorch straight down and, and, and go, or it must be the coaching. Um, but, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's um, some, in their post-mortems, you know, Dean will be asking himself some questions and likewise the club will, will um want to seek some answers to the questions that they might have. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether there's going to be any, any coaching changes, but there's definitely, there is, there is something that needs to happen because mm. you talked about that negative record. Well, it's, it's five wins out of what, 21 games. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and a grand that, final appearance glosses that over a little bit. You kind of forget that that's actually the statistical um, win loss rate. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the I mean that was a grand final with two wins in that mm. season, getting into the into the grand final. But I mean, yet yeah, look, that happens in a six team competition where you can get uh, you know that that sort of result was ended up that it was possible and and I, and I think to be fair to the team there were close matches uh oh, we see them last we year. see them built yet yeah, last season where you can see them building into it and you know what I thought that they were 
going through the same pattern this year when uh, because before they got their win, they were building up with some really consistent form. Um, but uh, after they got the win, it's it's been, well, it's been best left unsaid what's, what's happened the last couple of weeks, isn't it? It was mm. really, really disappointing. So, um, I, I look, I think there's there has to be some sort of change, whether it's how they go about the preseason because they've had these slow starts, um, whether it be that they have to get you know a couple of key changes in personnel, whether they whether they go the big change, which is like a coaching change, and uh, you know the reality is three seasons but two years that Dean's had. So I don't know if they would think that two years is mm. you know making a change after that might be a bit tough and, and especially given the injury circumstance this year um, mm. but uh, you know they it can't you can't imagine that they would go into next season with a very similar roster a minimal change and expect that things would be any different uh, last thing that I wanted to ask was uh, Rachel Pearson uh, I mean I, you have to think they didn't get anywhere near the best out of her this year because there was the injuries to start the season, but it was... I, I wondered then whether she was carrying an injury and that calf, because we know how uh, tough calf injuries can be to overcome. She she looked like she was playing. She was struggling for the rest of the season. It was... Like she struggled with the kicking game, it was hit and miss, and she's renowned for her kicking game. Mm. Was... And then we'd see we'd see moments where you'd go, "This is what it means to have a a, a quality halfback yeah. leading the team around." And then there'd be games where she'd just be, it looked like she was struggling with injury. So I don't know, maybe they're a different kettle of fish where she's able to rehab, get well for next season and, and be ready right from the start of the season. And it also makes envisioning where they should take recruitment or the branches they could take recruitment difficult because we don't know what this team looks like with a healthy Albert, a healthy Pearson and a healthy Kennedy Charrington. Um, you know, you, yeah. you, know the team, you know the team will be better, but by how much? You know, are, yeah. they, you know, are they finals contenders? Are they, you know, it's a long shot to say they're premiership contenders. You look at the calibre of the field out there, Newcastle and the Roosters in particular, but the improvement in the Gold Coast Titans as well. I, I don't think they're for like a, a top-tier premiership contender by any means with those three players being fit, healthy, not suspended, fully integrated into the lineup. Uh, but if they are there, who do you go recruit? What What is the biggest move like move you can make to push that needle into the red? Uh, you know, do you do you get a sort of Millie Boyle type? Do you need another leader in the forward pack? Uh, do we need a you know, a sort of foil to Rachel Pearson. You know, is Abby Church that foil? I don't know. But it, it is an interesting question, uh, Craig, you know, insofar as what does recruitment and what does coaching have to do to shape this team moving forwards? Because like Quint's uh, sort of numbers suggest, the results haven't been good enough. The consistent slow starts of the seasons haven't been good enough. And while, you know, we've sort of seen a turning point in most of these seasons where you can see them start getting better, by the time they hit that turning point, you know, barring the second part of the, well, the actual 2023 season, but the second season in 2023, where they sort of got very lucky in terms of results falling their way and being able to sneak into the finals. 
by by and large, when they've sort of started to find their feet, the season's been over. And it's just not a situation that can continue for the blue and gold. Yeah, I think it. I think they need. They certainly need um, to make changes to how they play. And what I mean by that is the errors. The errors yep. were just so mm. the the, the you know, passivity in defence. The errors. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it kind of feels unkind to say, but. Rudimentary is the word yeah. that comes to mind. It is, it is very much schoolboy, schoolgirl sort of stuff. And like the sort of thing that drives coaches absolutely insane. It's something that's always, you know, regardless of who the coach is, it's drilled into the team, you know, to minimise that sort of stuff, control what you can control. But for whatever reason, mm-hmm. our girls have struggled to stay focused throughout the course of these games. My big hope, outside of any talk of changing coaches, or any talk of like big recruits, is that the inter- excuse me, you got a frog in the throat, the introduction of the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership team mm. uh, helps bridge that gap between Tasha Gale and the NRLW, obviously, but also helps us build better squad cohesiveness, gives us a sort of extended preseason, a chance to build connections, a chance to get our girls into match fitness earlier and uh, in better sort of long-form fitness. And that, that's a lot. Part of elite conditioning is you need that sort of longevity of the program. Uh, when the, mm. NR, the NRLW being just now a nine-week program plus finals, but prior to that was, you know, essentially ran for a, a bit over a month. Um, it, it is very difficult to get uh, your squad fully conditioned for that sort of thing. When you've got a Harvey Norman's women, Women's Premiership campaign that will dovetail into the NRLW, suddenly you have a chance to really build your elite conditioning setups and, and have your high-performance managers making a difference for the squad, and that's what I'm hoping will be a big part for the Parramatta Eels is getting that uh, Harvey Norman squad fit, firing it, and really sort of being the building block for a strong push into the NRLW next year. Yeah, and and I think going forward, I think the NRL needs to think about what they're going to do um, with regard to the tiers of the women's competitions because I think where you've got NRLW clubs who then have RV Norman women's competition teams... I don't know about you, but it it would feel weird to me with clubs that were able to field a, a large number of their NRLW players in an in a Harvey Norman's team playing against other clubs that are fielding similar NRLW teams and and almost having two competitions in yeah, one year before the season <laughs> the season before the season yeah, exactly and like i don't know it's just i think there needs to be distinctions found and um because before i could look at it and go uh, well the the harvey norman competition is like the old sydney premiership and the and the um and the nrlw is like the uh, representative season you know, almost like the like mm. an origin where there because there was a small number of teams that existed four at one point, and, and it was almost like a, a you know the the players came together in into almost origin like teams in terms of like the strength of the of those clubs because a small you had a small number of players stretched across, uh, well the elite players stretched across the four clubs and then it became six clubs, but yeah I just. I'd just like to see a real distinction. And maybe the only way that's going to happen is when they extend the women's premiership to two 
um, two rounds of playing each other yeah. and and have almost like a, a full season yeah. and then the Harvey Norman becomes like a reserve grade. Yeah, during the same time and, and as a like a development but like the, until the then, it, it is beholden of the Eels to take advantage of it being essentially a way to tune up for the NRLW. So Oh you, yeah, yeah, they have to. They have to this was the only thing they could do because other teams had an advantage with recruiting players who uh, were loyal to them. I mean, Tiana Penatani was the was the prime example where she just was refusing to play for Parramatta because now her Cronulla team was there and she yep. wanted to play alongside yep. her Cronulla teammates. You know, what what chance have you what chance have you got? I mean, we're lucky to be able to hold on to the Cherrington girls who were running around for the Bulldogs in the Harvey Norman and had a had a history with the Cronulla Sharks. And uh, fortunately, they, they loved the Parramatta Eels hmm. as well. So, I mean, we were lucky to be able to hold on to them, in, in my mind. I mean, I think we're, when I say lucky, I think we were lucky that they are the, the type of people that they are, um, in, in, you know, with that loyalty to the Eels club. But um, anyway, um, there's other Eels news floating around, mate. I'm, I'm yeah, we've been a little bit out of the loop. We've uh, we've taken our time sort of breaking down the flag NRW and everything around them, but let's move on to other Parramatta news and then general NRL stuff. Got a bit to cover. Let's start with some great news. Um, we've been waiting on that centre of excellence and the sort of Kellyville development in general, which is you know Parramatta HQ, uh, to sort of kick into the next gear. It's finally happening. The Eels have officially announced their contractors for the full development, choosing uh, Kane Construction, the devil's favourite demon right there, uh, so K-A-N-E <laughs> construction will uh, actually begin the initial development The big steps. red machine. Yeah, that's right, the big red machine, yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the, um, uh, they'll begin their initial uh, developments at the end of this month, actually. So we've got, what, we're actually in the back end of September, so it's good to see that it's um, really starting I to kick in here. I hope there are big red machines up there excavating. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that that, that yep. would make the day. That, know, that would be great. And um, on the back of that, the club sort of released a little missive saying or or detailing what exactly lies ahead for the Centre of Excellence among other features. They're expecting it to be the uh, finest facility in the NRL featuring five playing fields or outdoor playing fields, a world-class gym with yoga and cardiovascular spaces, advanced, advanced facilities including an aquatic rehab centre and a video review sessions for film and whatnot. Uh, that's going alongside a 1,500 uh, capacity grandstand that includes a function centre and I think some, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, some uh, sort of like food and drink uh, spaces there. So going to be a, a great uh, training and game day uh, sort of centre for the Parramatta Reels and the uh, sort of Western Sydney community. I imagine... The TCT gonna, Media Centre? That's right. There's going to be the TCT <laughs> uh, Media Box right there, 100%. Uh, but... Yeah, home of the Parramatta Reels for obviously the preseason all sort of NRL training, but I imagine it's also going to be uh, the Junior Reps home flag cup probably as well, and maybe even the NRLW for select games, depending on uh, what sort of is the roadmap for the NRLW with our scheduling. Because uh, if they're taking home games to Cogra and Canberra, then I'm sure we can squeeze a game in at Kellyville. Yeah, and the uh, fencing was up, the construction fencing was up, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was at the uh, flag training, I did put some photos up on Instagram and uh, spoke to one of the uh, construction uh, people there uh, as they were putting up the fencing and 
um, just said, you know, look, it's, uh, he said, yeah, it's a, just a couple of weeks away from starting. Um, so looking forward to that happening because it is going to be a bit of a game changer for the club to finally have that level of facility up there. It's, it's not that the modular buildings don't provide them with good training facilities because the five fields are already there. So that's that's in place, uh, five quality rugby league fields. They've got all of the administration there. They've got their, uh, their uh, theatreette meet, meeting room. They've got the dressing sheds that are um, uh, quality dressing sheds there. They've got a, a huge gym. Um, they've got the medico and physio uh, spaces there. Um, yeah, I've toured the, the facilities as well, 60s, and it's certainly not lacking for modern quality, but I suppose the difference is between pushing to modern quality, you know, being par or par plus, and now maybe being world class, which would be a huge upsell for the Parramatta Reels. And I, I don't, I hate using the cliche of like how important it is for stuff like recruitment, but the reality is it is a, a plus point for recruitment. And for a club like the Eels, which, you know, unfortunately we're not rich in TPAs despite being such a huge club, um, you need to have a point of difference and that will help. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, that's that's great news. About a 14-month build, something like that, mm-hmm. I was told. So um, if they get started within the next month or two, then uh, it will be maybe close to the start of the 2025 season that... Uh, the facility will be built. It would be tremendous if it was built in time for the 2025 junior rep season. Yeah. Junior rep season, maybe an NRL trial would be pretty cool too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, have to wait and see what sort of time frame we're on there. But good news there. More good news as well, 60s. Parramatta Foundation, uh, which is the associate foundation for the rugby league operations in terms of charity, has a new general manager. Uh, Belinda Wolford is going to head the program and, don't really know much about Belinda, but it's good to see the Eels making some moves in this space. Um, they do a lot of positive work with the community, and um, having a, you know a general manager to front that and really kick it into the next gear is nothing but positive. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to an old mate, Michael Basson, who uh, that was his space uh, for quite a long while. He did a lot of groundwork on this is his baby the, uh, yeah. on, the, on the foundation, the Parramatta Foundation, the Eels Foundation. It's um, yeah, got a number of arms that um, work with the community, and um, yeah, so uh, fantastic that that's really kicking into gear. Um, and you know, a, a nod to those who walked in that space before, uh, including, as I said, uh, Bass. Yes, indeed. And Quint, you've sort of been involved in the club in the past. It's always good to see moves being made on this front. I know it doesn't impact the NRL and you know, winning a premiership. But uh, the club has an important place in the Western Sydney community and this is a one way of addressing some of its important stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it speaks to the, the, I guess, the growth of the club that they're able to facilitate um, and, um, and actually get these types of programs off the ground. You know, the, the unspoken part of all of this is despite um, going out in the community and, and, and doing... Um, Good things in the wider community is that is you're, you're, you're having touch points with potential 
future fans in doing this as well as you know, on, on top of existing fans and you know, we know that that fans and members are the the lifeblood of the club and you know um having the ability to um uh encourage growth in that area while doing positive things in the community um it, it's one of those rare win-win scenarios that you have in business so you know it it, it makes sense to do those types of things and um, you know the, the fact that we're able to to grow these programs and and put in resources to to further grow them is only a positive thing. And moving on, just like we all predicted, Kelma Tualangi is a Parramatta Eel. Um, you know this one we all knew was happening clearly uh, as the 24 year old forward from Manly uh, joins the Parramatta Eels on the remainder of his deal for the Seagulls, which runs through to the end of 2025. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this one, boys. Uh, like I said, 24 years old, 192 centimetres. I think he tips the scales at 100-odd kilos. Let me see what his profile says here. 108 kilos. So he's the prototypical modern forward. He's a big unit. He's uh, you know not old, 24 years. He's got you know, a potential. Uh, sort of, He caught the eyes at the West Tigers as a rookie, and people had high hopes for him, got poached by the Seagulls. But he sort of fell behind in the pecking order for them there. He was starting, and then he was on the bench, and then sort of... Wasn't getting huge minutes. Um, but, I mean, this is classic Parramatta, isn't it? They do love a contracted player and having the other club chipping in. It's uh, their way of making up for a lack of TPAs, I, I dare say. Um, what do we make of this one? Is it a good fit? We have a lot of back rowers. We are probably going to lose Andrew Davey if the speculation about a medical retirement is on track. And um, given the severity of the concussion that he had at the end, there's uh, no reason not to believe there isn't at least a basis for that. Uh, but you're looking at the likes of, what, Madison... Lane, uh, I mean, Hopkill plays in the middle, but, uh, you know, he has played out in the edges too. Um, who else we got there? Jack Cardi. Cardi, yeah. Cardi. Bryce Cartwright, who we're expecting to re-sign. Um, Matt Dury is Matt, with us as well. Matt Dury is with us and hopefully can be a factor next year when he's not, you know, getting his ankle rolled up in reserve grade. Uh, Tony Mattielli has transitioned more to the middle where I thought he looked outstanding, Craig. So I, I don't – maybe he could be a bit of that sort of like that Marauder-esque tweener. Uh, but right now, I view him more as a middle. So it's not like we have a, a sh- you know a glut, but we also don't have a shortage of edge back row options, and that's not even factoring in some of the young kids in that uh, ball slash flag squad that we've been praising so highly. Um, but yeah, does he come in as like that tweener? Can he be a middle edge guy, or is he an out and out edge forward for us? What's his position uh, for the Parramatta Eels moving forwards? Uh, just my thoughts on this. He was someone for me that flew under the radar this year and I I really I didn't I didn't see him as uh, a likely eels target um, I know there are some uh, good judges out there who uh, who rate him as a player with potential that has yet to be realized um, so I, I'd have to go with uh, people who've, who've watched him closer than what I have. The obvious you touched on, which is that he's he's been bought as a replacement for Andy Davey. I guess from my personal preference, I'd like them to get stuck into some signings of backs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. we, we obviously spoke highly of the trio of outside backs in the flag that can hopefully make some moves for 2024, but the reality is the Eels need... Proven depth, proven, you know, like starter options. Um, you know, we're, yeah. you're, right now you're counting on Hayes Dunst to get back to 100%, and I hope he does. 
because Hayes at 100% is absolutely a factor in the NRL. You're counting on someone like Alpha Mill or Steven making a jump next year, and Artie could could you know be a guy to do that. But beyond that, you're, you're talking Mike Acevo, uh, Bailey Simonson, uh, you know, Will Penasini, obviously his place in the team is unquestioned, but it's real skinny after, like, uh, you're barely naming a back line right now. Yeah, you're, you're looking at Sean Russell yeah. and as the other back. So you're looking at the four players who were playing in uh, the playing at the end of the season, uh, plus Hayes Dunster as the uh, player that you're hoping can work his way back into full fitness. And it's just not enough. So, yeah. and, and, but but I guess I, maybe the if we intended to pick up a back rower, the fact that there's one available now that we've picked up probably shouldn't throw us off thinking that the Eels aren't going to recruit backs just because the opportunity to sign the back rower replacement came up before the opportunities to sign uh, backline players. We just hope that that is the case, that it's just, okay, we've got the chance to snap him up now. We need to replace Andy Davey in the roster. That takes care of that. We're now done for those positions. We're pretty much wrapped up for forwards. So, okay, let's look at some backs or look at some spine players. But um, who who can predict what's going to happen? Clint, you got anything you want to add on that? Yeah, look, you know, um, at the risk of um, repeating everything you said, uh, we're, we're all hungry for some outside backs, you know, and it, it would be um, naive to think that the um, that the uh, re- re- uh, retention recruitment team aren't doing that. It just so happens that this opportunity presented itself, and you know, the, 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 there was a need there, obviously. Um, uh, likewise, I've only seen pockets of. Um, Kelma Tuolangi, um, you know, I've seen someone who's a hard runner. I've also seen someone who's shot out of the line defensively and not necessarily made the best of decisions, but his tackle efficiency seems to suggest that, um, you know, at, at a touch under 90% that, you know, he's more than capable there. And he, he played plenty of NRL since coming into grade, both for the Tigers and Manly, despite sort of moving around. So he's been someone that's been considered for the better part of two seasons and an NRL player. I probably look at him as about third or fourth choice in the back row at the minute, um, possibly pushing for for a bench spot. But you know, um, that's if, if if that's what he's doing, and, and um, you know, the onus is on him within the preseason to come in and try and disrupt um, the status quo and be someone who pushes for that. Then he's going to be having to perform pretty well and and jumping some some guys that have been um, for the better part of the last few seasons playing some really solid football in the likes of Sean Lane and and Bryce Cartwright, um, Cardi even uh, more so um, this season. Um, you know, that could only be a good thing for our team and, and, and the type of pressure you want players to be applying. So, you know, um, the fact that Manly's chipping in obviously helps us. And the positive, the positive part of it is that We've made the move swiftly, aggressively, got it done before the preseason kicks off. So he's going to be fully integrated mm. into our program. There's not going to be any sort of like, you know, jet lag getting him up to speed with the Parramatta programs. So that's good. Um, you know, right now, I'm, I'm, I want to say I'm fairly whelmed on the signing. Like, I'm not like, oh my God, this is a terrible signing. I'm also not, you know, going, wow, this is going to be, a, this is clearly an Isaiah Papali'i 2.0. Um, the raw material was there. I mean, I mentioned 192, 108 kilos. He's mobile. 
Uh, you, you spoke about his tackle rate, Quint. You know, it's a tick under 90%. They're raw materials you can work with. So that's a good thing. Mm. Um, it's on him now to buy into Brad's program. And, you know, I know people are critical of Brad on other fronts, but one thing I think he's almost uh, unchallenged on is his ability to develop these forwards. Uh, he's gotten the best out of it. Like journeyman, raw prospects. Uh, he's turned good players into great players. He's, you know, salvaged careers of former, like, former greats that are sort of slumped like Reg. Um, you know, but you talk about Reg, Papali'i, Gower... Uh, you know, the whole, there's a whole list of forwards that have played incredible football under Brad, and it's certainly right in his wheelhouse as a coach. So maybe Tulane can be the next uh, off the production line, uh, but that obviously takes him buying in, and I hope he does. Because if he does, then this will be a great pickup. Now, fellas, just before we jump into the NRL, uh, can I just finish off the Eels news by just saying in the Junior League, they've wrapped up with all their grand finals in the last few weeks. And I wanted to give a shout out to Adam Fairley, who has uh, taken over this year as the general manager of the Parramatta Junior Rugby League. And one of the um, projects that he was working on was the media coverage of the Junior Rugby League and via their social media platforms that throughout the year they've put up highlights, they've put up try of the week, they've put up interviews with uh, young players that have been very entertaining. Um, and then in the final series, I, I thought it's been really tremendous. They've had uh, quick interviews with uh, a staff member of the team that was in the grand final or the, or the, or the semi-final. They've had an interview, quick interview with the, uh, captain of the team and uh, well not so much an interview but they're actually getting um, them to to say a few words about uh, what they were um, looking to do in the match and then you were getting the highlights of the games and I thought it was a great initiative what they uh, uh, put there if people haven't had a chance jump on to uh, well I, I like watching it through um, Instagram on their, their social media platform there, but I'm sure it's also there on, on Facebook as well. Check it out. See the, the, the tremendous work that they've been doing there. And also uh, a congratulations to all the teams that uh, participated this year, all the, all the, uh, the boys and girls that were playing uh, junior rugby league. Hope you had a, a great season. Uh, congratulations to the teams that were victorious um, but of course, you know, winning's winning's part of it. Uh, the best part about junior rugby league is the participation, and in the footage that I've seen this year, some of the like the smiles on the faces of kids that were playing footy. That's what it's all about. So, a uh, big shout out to the junior rugby league this year, and uh, under under uh, Adam Fairley. Yes, well said, sixties, and uh, I think this is the point in the podcast where you would caution or encourage our listeners to take a second, pause the podcast and make yourself a cup of tea or coffee, go for a quick walk and uh, sort of have yourself something of an intermission. Um, and then, yeah, Go to the loo. Go to the loo, exactly. Uh, and then maybe uh, I'll see, see if this works here. Go. Yeah, we'll put the, uh, the old intermission music on for you there. <laughs> and we'll come back right. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just, I, I just got a little a quick kiss from Yoko just to encourage me to keep going in the second half of the 
<laughs> oh no, sorry. She's just informed me that it's actually just a good night. See you later. Yes, so I, I completely, I completely misinterpreted that. She's taken, she's taken the cue for intermission as a cue for, um, you know, I've I've had enough of being around you for the day. So <laughs> okay, and uh, we're back on that note, and let's get into the. Weekend happenings in the NRL. Obviously, it's the uh, sudden death finals now. There are no second chances, and that means that we bid farewell to two teams uh, with the Melbourne Storm taking on the Sydney Roosters and the New Zealand Warriors taking on the Newcastle Knights. Let's start with Friday Night Fellas, where the Storm hosted the Roosters down in Amy Park. This was a controversial one, a lot of fallout to come out of this one between missed calls and knock ons and high shots and uh, sort of the bad vibe between a former player on one side of the park and the Melbourne Storm. Uh, but ultimately, all history is going to talk about is that the fact that the Melbourne Storm won this one 18 to 13. Uh, Will Warbrick, the hero, carved himself into Melbourne Storm folklore with a 78, 78th minute sensational take in the air to steal back the lead. Uh, not just that, was it like three or four tackles after the, the Storm were denied what was a pretty clear penalty, a chance to regain the lead uh, with a two point conversion on the penalty goal there. Uh, but they did one better and went to the air. Uh, but yeah, the big talking point of this one is the refereeing. Ashley Klein had an absolute Barry Crocker. Now, no one here on the podcast is a huge Klein stan. Um, by the same token, we do acknowledge that NRL officiating is among the most difficult in the world in terms of the pace and whatnot. So, you know, fair play when you make it, you know, the odd error here or there. But Klein had an absolute shocker. The knock on from the uh, Melbourne Storm was it Harry Grant uh, recovering a deflected kick right in front of the post with a. Uh, with Klein standing right there uh, and missing it uh, was potentially, uh, you know, a game-changing call there. The Storm would go on to, not only would the Roosters deny an opportunity to attack the Melbourne Storm goal line again for a fresh set, from that end of that next possession, the Melbourne Storm scored. Uh, so absolutely huge in the context of the game. But on the flip side, uh, it was, was it Harry Grant again that got clocked high? I think it was, he was involved yeah. in, both, in both calls. Yeah. Harry Grant was clearly hit high. Like it was a no-doubter penalty. Uh, he even played it up and stayed down looking for the bunker to intervene, but they didn't. Was told to get up and play the ball. And they were down one point with a couple of minutes left in the game. Uh, and obviously, Will Warbrick would go on to save the day off the, off the Munster crossfield kick. Uh, but, yeah, just, I don't know. Like, I mean, both teams, it's hard to see either team making a difference in, in next week's mm. game. But, you know, it was a, it was an entertaining contest. Uh, but, unfortunately, it is going to be remembered for the Ashford Klein stuff. Well, you know, I, I'll put my hand up and say there's not too much I can contribute here because for obvious reasons, I wasn't watching the matches as they were unfolding. I did. I have looked at highlights and um, the controversial incidents. All I'll say about that particular one is I'm not sure how he missed it. And um, if he had, you'd have to think he was thinking in his mind, no, I think he's held on to it. He couldn't have thought in his mind. He definitely held on to the ball, um, and mm. and what what was his worst case scenario if he called the knock on that they challenge it? Yeah, and that, yeah. that I suppose is inherently a problem with the challenge system in that you need it be broken play or sorry, not broken play, but the dead ball. A stoppage. To be able to, to, you need to a stoppage. challenge. Um, there's going to be absolute shockers missed that you cannot challenge, and that was literally a case in point here. Um, it may have cost the Roosters a spot in the finals. Um, the, you know, when you start talking about the sliding door moments here, it's, it's always risky. 
um, because there's, you know, them, you know, holding onto the ball there might lead to the storm hitting back of two tries. Uh, who knows? Uh, but, yeah. it, it, you know, obviously the momentum would have been better suited for the Roosters though in the context of that particular play. Uh, Klein has been billed internally by the code as the top referee for a number of years now, um, but he has been demoted to the box next week, or this week now. Um, as a result of this one, he will not be holding the whistle on the main field. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I'm not a huge Ashley Klein fan in terms of the way he officiates, but... At the same time, it feels like NRL referees probably need more resources. I would like more eyes on the field. We've spoken about this in the past. I would like more more players running, or more players, more officials running the sidelines so you can correctly measure offside and forward passes in equal measure on both sides of the field. Um, and maybe even having a, a second official who is not you know, the primary shot call going back to a two-ref system, but it's really a one-and-a-half-ref system where one ref is just policing certain aspects of the defence or the offence and can just guide the main referee if he sees a knock-on or an offside player. I don't, I don't know what the solution is. There was talk about letting the bunker take a more active role in games, and that is a very slippery slope because you, you either have the bunker rule on everything or only on these select things. And the the way they're trying to... The media sort of angling towards opening it up more, uh, I don't know. Like, is it the right move, boys? Uh, you know what? I don't know that we're ever going to get the answer. No. To this. I, I really don't because um, the sorts of errors that we've seen in the finals, they're no surprise because we see them through the year. Mm-hmm. Like, and Yeah, just because it, it's a high-stakes game doesn't absolve the fact that it's happening every week. Yeah. So, you know, the more that the game gets tinkered with, with... Um, um, technology or rule changes or what have you, I think the more capacity there is for certain types of errors to occur because I think to myself the there's so many times when uh, a ref's not game to make a call because he thinks, well, I've got the the bunker to, to back it up if this leads to a try. Mm. And the, the problem is, as John's just pointed out, you end up with sliding door moments. And, um, you know, it, it, it could be that, um, well, basically what you have is as, as soon as a, a call isn't made that should, be, that should be made, you have a whole different scenario that's unfolding in front of you. Uh, the possession's in a different part of the field. It's maybe with a different, the different team. Um, you know, it's, and, and then you, you just don't, you, because you can't say what if, what if? Because you don't know what that what if is going to turn out. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I had an answer. It's a, uh, I think the referees these days are better than they were in yesteryear. Uh, is Ashley Klein a first grade referee? I don't think he is anymore. I, I, and I don't. And I think that's been the case for a while. And that's not picking on Ashley Klein. That's just. I don't know. I, I, I almost believed what was said about him being a protected species. I don't believe people should pile onto him. No, exactly. Mm. People need to separate the ability to criticise him as a referee in the course of a game and then pile mm. onto him on social media. And when we talk about pile on, it's not just saying you're shit, you suck at your job, and it goes well beyond that. And it's uh, same thing with the players. We've spoken about it at length in the past. There are players we don't like. Jerome Luai is absolutely a villain. He's a heel in the, in the context of the NRL. There's no need for him to be getting death threats or anything like that in, in his socials. 
Um, you know, you can hate, and I say this, it's weird to say that you can hate in a healthy way, but that's part of the reason why you you watch sports, you play sports, is that there is the rivalry. There is people that you don't like in the context There's of sports. There's the entertainment. That, the that's theater. right. Exactly. You it's, can, the, it's the theatre of sport. It, exactly. You, you, you cheer for the... You, you cheer for the baby faces and you boo the heels. Exactly. You cannot like a Jared Weir Hargraves, a Jerome Luai, a Brandon Smith, any of those sort of players, the guys that like to lock it up and, and sort of make themselves the villains and can be a positive factor for the team on account of it. Our own Kendi Charrington plays that role for Parramatta. You know, if you're playing against her, she would be an absolutely awful, you know, player to contend with because she's always stirring, she's always there being fiery and, and sort of pushing buttons. And that's why you love her as an eel, but that's why you don't like her if she was on the other side. So same thing with the referees. You can not like them as a referee when they make a mistake, but don't carry on and, and you know go after them on socials and, and beyond. So that wraps up that one, boys. Um, unfortunately, uh, we'll talk about them shortly, but I feel like these two teams are chump fodder. Maybe maybe the Storm yeah. will surprise if Cameron Munster in particular has a monster game. Uh, but yeah, it, it feels like they're sort of making up the numbers next week, but... The other game... Which, which is a strange thing to say about, about the Storm in yeah. the preliminary final situation. Storm and the Roosters, that? yeah. But, but either of them been, you know, making up the numbers, but that's the reality that we live in. Um, but mm. in the other game, uh, well, there was a fairy tale. I'm sort of pushing ahead in the fairy tale ending one way or the other with the New Zealand Warriors taking on the Newcastle Knights. And the Knights came into this game on, what, a 10-game win streak? And yep. the Warriors, who had a, a sort of tough couple of weeks on the back of some losses there, but... We're looking to play their first home game in a final series in eons. Um, well, they came out and certainly didn't uh, shy in the moment. They absolutely hammered the Newcastle Knights 40-10. to 10. Uh, There was only a brief window, sort of either side of halftime, where the Knights looked like they were marginally in this one. Aside from that, it was all New Zealand. Sean Johnston having a... Uh, sorry, Sean Johnson uh, having a, a whale of a game and linking up with other key players like Nickel Clockstar and Adam Fenua Blake. Uh, and yeah, the... The Warriors, too good in the day. It was absolutely electric out there at Go Media uh, Stadium. It's, uh, they really need to... Like, there needs to be a committee that uh, like assesses who can sponsor <laughs> a stadium. It's not the worst I've seen, but it's not a great one either. Uh, excuse me, that's my uh, big border collie there. Uh, but, yeah, one fairy tale had to end here, and it was the Newcastle Knights, who have been punching well above that. We, by, by the way, we, you know, we've, we've talked about it. A lot of similarities to the 09 Eels... Uh, you know, Ponga and Hayne is the fullback sort of superstar uh, and a team of uh, sort of battlers doing well well beyond their pay grade uh, alongside some, you know, handy players here and there. And, yeah, New Zealand, they they continue on. They carry the torch next week. And out of all the teams that were in this batch of games, you know, between Melbourne, uh, the Roosters, the Warriors and the Knights, the Warriors are probably the one team that might, and I, I use that word of, you know, the emphasis heavily on it, might be able to make some noise in the remaining two rounds. Yeah, well, I think we'll we'll have a bit of a, a dive into that in the uh, our preview of the Broncos and Warriors game. And uh, on the back of that, uh, any real thoughts about this one, boys? Newcastle ran out of gas. We're not surprised to see that. Mm. Um, but the Warriors, yeah, like they sort of just they they got the ship right. Um, they've got a pretty well balanced team. Um, Mm. You, you look at that roster and it's just like very solid across the park. They've got some key players in sort of every phase. Nickel Clockstar out the back with Teen Zelezniak's having a career season. Uh, in the half, Sean Johnson's obviously outstanding, but in the front row you've got Fanua Blake. Uh, Murata Niakore has been an outstanding pickup for them. 
uh, Toei Harris is, you know, just the quiet sort of cornerstone of the team. They're, they're just a very well-balanced roster. Webbs has done a great job shaping them. And, yeah, uh, it's been a fantastic story, their return home this year. Uh, it, it's not a surprise that they've spent, you know, what, two years being nomads due to COVID and, and sort of taking mm-hmm. one for the entire competition. Uh, not surprised that they got a massive second wind going back home and, and being re-energised by a, a very parochial home crowd. The Warriors fans are, you know, rowdy, but in a good way. They absolutely uh, love their team. And, yeah, suddenly the the vibes are very good in New Zealand. And Newcastle, yeah, I, I do. I am worried that this is a bit of a, a false storm for them. They'll make some roster moves yeah. that will set them back years, a la Parramatta 09, where we, you know, sort of bought into the, the moment and, you know, extended players that probably should have been moving on. Um, but, yeah. It, it, it's just funny seeing how uh, one team had to lose this one, and it was the, out of the two fairy tale teams. If they'd sort of been on other sides of the draw, maybe Newcastle gets through against the Roosters or the Storm. Um, but the Warriors, mm. the Warriors, they they had momentum, they had the balance of the roster, and yeah, too good in the day. I, I kind of feel as though, and I, I know I said to, this to both of you um, um, off the podcast that this performance from a Newcastle end has been coming for some time. It's pretty damn hard to win an NRL game, let alone 10 in a row, let alone the way in which Newcastle did it. And I get that they had a, a favourable draw that enabled them. They they um, they were just in some white-hot form. But, you know, there, there was always going to be a, a, a coming-down-to-earth moment. Um, you know, and it, it almost teased in happening the week prior against Canberra. Yeah, yeah they, um, they, they got away from that game very lucky. Um and like you said, I, I kind of think that in watching that and seeing that, um, you know, you knew that against the Warriors in Auckland, it was going to be a bridge too far for them um, yeah. following that that performance against Canberra because that went an extra time and it took a, it took a lot of juice out of them and you know um, they only just got away with it in the end. Um, so yeah, look, and- yeah, there, there's kind of some similarities with. The Warriors. I know our good mate Adam Hawes um, said as much on Twitter earlier today with the Warriors' um, first two finals games, as well as our own Eels' first two finals games last year. That's actually a good shout. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah Drop, dropping, getting, 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 yeah. Heavy getting, defeat, getting heavy a, defeat, Penrith, and then bouncing back in some Coming Raiders. back home, putting on a score yeah. and making a statement, then having to go into enemy territory against a, a Queensland team that uh, made its way through to week three of the finals. Well, I hope they go one better than Parramatta, I'll tell you what. Uh, but, you know, I know I sound very miserable about Newcastle, and if there are any sort of Paris slash Newcastle fans listening to this podcast, um, if you've got a sort of foot in both sides there, or if you're just a Newcastle fan for some reason listening to our podcast, um, I'm, I'm not doing this to shit on the Newcastle Knights. I'm speaking from experience. No. Um, yeah. your, your team can hold their heads up high for how they overperformed. Um, their finish the season was sensational and uh, it probably won't be enshrined in folklore the way the 09 season was for the Eels because of how hot Jared Hayne was on the route to winning a Dalie M that year. And unfortunately, Caelan Ponga probably is going to run second or third to Sean Johnson and uh, maybe someone else in the final series that I'm missing here, uh, probably Cleary. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the Knights did very, very well, but they did very well over performing and unfortunately, regression to the mean is a, a big thing in sports. Um, mm. Even in a competition where we have elimination finals like the NRL, um, 
you uh, you get sorted out very quickly when it comes to wins and losses uh, once teams sort of have you on tape and can adjust properly yep. the following season. All right, let's keep it rolling, boys. Uh, let's got, uh, go through some uh, news regarding signings, fines, and, of course, the West Tigers. It wouldn't be a, a podcast <laughs> without Wests. Uh, on NRL 360 today, uh, while they're sort of extolling the amazing virtues of this Brisbane Broncos team, and to be fair, it's a very, very good team. Um, I think Pete Bedell sort of broke the news that they're on the cusp of re-signing a pair of their young stars in Reese Walsh and Ezra Mam. I mean, Walsh has been a priority for the Broncos ever since he played his first game back at the club and was electric, so no surprises there. Um, but Ezra Mam's been quietly having a very, very good season with Adam Reynolds and Walsh sort of taking most of the spotlight. But Mam's been outstanding for a young half. And they're talking about a million plus for Walsh and 700, 750 for Mam. What's our takes, fellas? Fair money for both of those. Uh, if, the Eels, if the Eels weren't in the position they were in in terms of their personnel uh, and also the reality that we, we could not get Walsh in terms of just getting him away from the Broncos, but would you be nibbling at either of those two players at that, at that sort of budget? Um, We've spoken Walsh. about Walsh before, and yes, if he's a million dollars, that's a bargain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mam's probably getting a little bit over, I think. Yeah, with agreed. The, you know, the... It's he's, like is it like deal bags where you're sort of you're, you're banking on the potential uh, sort of coming to fruit, and with Dylan, obviously it sort of has, uh, but Ezra's probably not quite at that stage yet. No, no, but one million only for a player who is potentially a, a premiership determiner, mm. like at at his age already. Like teams will win the premiership on his back. Yep, I have no question. He is a game changer. He's um, he can create something out of nothing, and he stays in the game. This and this is unlike some other players who might drift in and out of a game. He just he's constantly competing, and in moments. So he he is a genuine superstar. He, he's he's had a bit of lair and mug about him. Obviously, in the past, got himself into a bit of trouble with that. But, man, he's a winner. He's an absolute winner. I put the question to you, gentlemen, uh, probably about six, eight weeks ago. If Reese Walsh was on the open market, what would you pay for him? And, and, and Craig, I know you had no hesitation saying you'd go upwards of 1.5 million and that he he will likely be the first 1.5 million player in the competition. So we're talking... Um, two thirds of that value at a million dollar valuation, if that uh, those sources had believed, um, yeah, that, that that's why we both immediately screamed bargain because um, I I would have no problem forking out one point two, um, all things equal, and you've got a a, a, um, a full salary cap to play with as a starting bid. Yeah, mm-hmm. couldn't disagree. Yeah, well, you, you talk about that mythical X factor, and he has that in buckets. Mm. Absolutely electric. He's got that. Is, I mean, he's a full package, but the big thing that stands out with Walsh is his pace. He just creates mm. things and, and, and sort of capitalizes on things that even other elite fullbacks can't. Um, so, yeah. well, very, well, talk about elite fullbacks, mate. What have, what have the Tigers re-signed Buller for? Uh, were the figures out there yet? Um, I'll have a quick gander. Um, but it was very much a monkey paw signing for the the poor West Tigers. Um, they re-signed their best young player, which is fantastic for them. Uh, let me see if there's any details here. But it came with a cost because the uh, West Tigers board have also re-elected Lee Hadjapantelis for a further three years. So 
It's very much, very you, much a monkey polish. Yeah, unanimously. So they've they've literally gone. He inherited the the main team that were perpetually ninth or thereabouts, and they've gone nothing but backwards since, including going backwards from a wooden spoon year. They're, they're the first team ever to win a wooden spoon and then be worse the next year. So, uh, yeah, when, when when you say when you say that they've re-elected him, is that like? An open. I'm just imagining they're all there in the boardroom, including him, and it's uh, all those who support me for another three years. Raise your hand. Oh, what do you know? All your hands are up. So I, so, I, I can't, I can't imagine that there is going to be a scenario where the board would vote him out. I think the only time you're going to get a change as if he stands down. So, yeah, it is a significant upgrade for the young fullback Buller. Four years, 2.8 million per the Daily Telegraph, so 700k per. Um, you know, if he pans out to be the player they're hoping to be, that's obviously going to, that contract will very quickly look like good value. Uh, but it's, uh, unfortunately, they're not going to be getting much value out of him on his, you know, rookie sort of contracts. He's already entered, you know, elite echelon money. And they're going to, you know, need him to perform at that level moving forwards. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, Valentine yeah, Holmes, boys, yeah. uh, old, uh, old yeah. uh, white bags, Holmes, and uh, <laughs> the prank or whatever you think of it. I, I saw on three sixty. There was an interesting thought. Was it Gordon Talents that might have said it? Where that if it was a prank, it's almost worse. Um, you know, because it's one thing to do yeah. the, do the drugs and be dumb enough to post a picture. It's another thing to joke about it and post a picture, thinking there'd be no ramifications. Yeah, um, to, well, to joke about drugs, to be a role model, and joke about drugs on your social media. Mm-hmm. How I mean, it is literally like if you got blokes like that that are going out and leading education programs and going out and talking to kids. How do you have someone like that as a leader and role model at your club? As you say, if it's not drugs, he's actually pretending that he's using it and laughing about it or, or thinking it's funny to post on social media. Um, hello? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what on earth? But I mean, look, one- this, would be, this would be different, right? This would be completely different. If he's just sending a photo to mates and he's not a footballer with a with a profile, like he he's just the average bloke down the pub. Uh, look at this funny photo. Sends it to his mates. No, no one's going to give a damn about Joe Bloggs putting up a stupid photo like that. But as soon as mm. you talk about uh, the, one of the highest profile players in the game, who is. Um, you know, almost an, an icon within his team and, well, the, and the club. Queensland and Australian rep, you know, yep. played at the absolute highest levels. Like you said, is seen as an icon within the, his own team and, you know, one, one of the players that many young kids will be aspiring to emulate given how explosive he is as an outside back. Um, yeah, it, it's not a good look. We Look, we, we know players have lives away from football and they can get up to some silly stuff. But if you're dumb enough to post those pictures, the hammer should come down on you. Like, a, a significant ban. Like, you talk about bringing the game to disrepute. Uh, whether you, you want to be a role model or not, you are. That's the reality of the situation when you be that, you, you're in that sort of highly paid uh, you know, role as a representative player. And the fact that he got a one-game 
suspension and a 25k fine. Um, it's not even about the fine. Like I know you can hurt him in the hip, hip pockets and you could have fined him a lot more, but one game, one game. It's luck. It's a joke. You, know, you talk about some. You, you might as well not suspend. Yeah, it it, exactly. It 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 sends such a bizarre message, and yeah, disappointing from the game's governing body there and the integrity unit on the uh, the level of punishment. I think they got it uh, massively wrong, and it, it's not even about teaching a lesson for doing drugs or or that. It's about the stupidity of bringing the game to disrepute in that in that manner. In that manner, sorry. Uh, so yeah, I, I would have gone way. I mean, I know I'm sounding like a sort of you know book burning uh, conservative right now, but it, it's again, it's not about using drugs. It's about the stupidity of bringing the game into disrepute about that. Mm. If, if you're going to use drugs, do it on your own time in private. Okay, whatever, but don't don't be posting on Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, I, I would have come down with maybe eight plus weeks, honestly, like. And then that, that sends a message because uh, footballers keep doing stupid shit and they need to stop doing stupid shit, mm-hmm. at least publicly. Like I said, if you, yep. if, you, if you want to be a loose goose in your own time, go do that. But don't, don't bring it into the public domain. Yep. All righty. Now we move on. I don't think there's any other NRL news, boys. I'll have a quick jump into the news channel, see if I've missed something. Corey um, Horsburgh's uh, re-signed. Corey, the yeah, they, they finally made that official. Um that that was I think what three four weeks ago was uh, sort of yeah. speculated, but yeah, Corey Horsburgh has been made official. Nathan Peets has announced his retirement. Former Eel right there, although he didn't leave on the uh, happiest of terms. Scott Drinkwater has been crowned the uh, Paul Bowman Medalist, the equivalent of the Ken Fournette Medal for the North Queensland Cowboys. Daly Cherry Evans is endorsing the backflip contract clause. No shocks there. Um, <laughs> what else have we got going on uh, here? Alex Twelve. Oh yeah, Alex Twelve. Yeah, he's, the Tigers. Yeah, he's been given his. Uh, the so long and farewell, I don't recall saying uh, good luck or whatever it is, sort of thing, or good luck and farewell, I don't recall saying good luck. Uh, um, he has pretty much been working at the Cracker Factory, being at the Tigers yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and now there was some talk about the Bulldogs swooping in for him or going to the Super League. The Cowboys have cut nine, or cut, there's nine off contract buyers they haven't re-signed, so they're doing their top 30 pruning there. Um, and I think... I think that there's some Vegas stuff that's not too interesting for us. So yeah, it's um that's Only about it. Brown, uh, oh yeah, it's not going to be not, not part of the future for the Roosters. Yep, what a shock. Um, yeah. Sorry, so what have I what have I missed there with Nathan Brown? He's been list, uh, confirmed as one of the parting players from the club for the Roosters. Ah, okay. So not part of the plans moving forwards. Um, and yeah, it, it's outside of that. It's been a fairly tame week for the NRL, which means we can push forwards into NRL previews for the grand final qualifiers. These are the ones to punch your tickets to the big dance. And we've got 1v3 on Friday night with the Panthers hosting the Melbourne Storm out at a core stadium. And then on Saturday, it's the Brisbane Broncos 2v4. So it's an all-top-four affair, the same as last year, right? Um, I'm mm, pretty yep. certain. So the best four teams winning through to the, the big dance or the, the big dance entry tickets uh, again. Uh, but it's the Broncos and the Warriors in uh, the Suncorp game at 7.50pm on Saturday night. Let's start, obviously, with the chronologically first game in the Panthers v Storm. 119 versus 475. I'm honestly surprised it's that close to the line. Um, mm. well, sorry, not the line, but the non-line take there. Uh, the Penrith Panthers have named Jerome Luai. Um, we'll talk about that shortly, whether it's worth the risk. On the flip side, the Melbourne Storm have uh, named their Jerome of the Hughes variety. He was under an injury cloud coming into this one. Um, big boost for them if he is in. 
because uh, they're going to need a huge game out of him and Cameron Munster alongside a whole ton of other players if they're going to be even remotely competitive. Uh, but yeah, the the formidable Penrith outfit, I don't think they're missing any key players, are they? Now, if Luai is good to go, their back lines won the five, Edwards, Taruva, Targo, Crichton and To'o, uh, probably the best back line in the competition. You've got Louis, Louis, Luai, Cleary, uh, great front row in Leota and Fisher-Harris. Kenny, probably the weak link there. He's a serviceable dummy half, but he's by no means a star. Uh, Sorensen, Martin and Yo in the back row. Cogger has been named on the bench. They do have redundancy built into the team if Luai does get injured. Um, and obviously they've got fit enough forward pack to sort of cover for that as well. Um, Smith, Lenu and Garner round out their interchange for the Storm. I'm um, trying to see if there's any major changes in the team last week. Looks like a similar back line. Um, obviously Hughes is coming to the team at halfback, which will replace Tyron Wishart, who drops back to the interchange bench. Um... They're going to play a surface hormone off the interchange. What do you think about that one, boys? Play a, a what? Who are they playing off the interchange? A surface hormone. Oh. He's not starting this one. He's not. They're going to, they're going to put Kami Kamifa and uh, Christian Welch up against Leota and Fisher Harris. And have they played him as a as a back rower as well? They have. It, they have at times this yeah. season to to mix success. Sometimes he's been dominant. Sometimes he's been invisible. Um, it, it depends on the mismatches they can get. Um, and Cleary's not exactly, you know, a mismatch in terms of defense, so you're not going to be running at him. But maybe, you know, if uh, James Graham was talking about sort of being, uh, wasn't using the word boys, but the dark side of footy, I think is how he described it, um, getting a surface on one up against uh, Luai might be the game plan. Well, you know what? This is actually a different game to how things evolved last year because... In fact, it wasn't the top four teams that were in the um, in the grand final qualifiers. If you remember, the Sharks went out in straight. Oh, sets. that's right. Yeah, mm. that, that, was was so, South, that was South, so forgettable. South, <laughs> yeah, it was Souths. Yeah, yeah. South, South made the, old, the run. That good old Cronulla Sharks. Good old Cronulla Sharks. Yeah. Yeah. So last year, uh, it was Panthers one versus seven in this particular match. Yeah. So. To have uh, one versus um, three in this game is, um, you know, a bit of a different scenario for the Panthers. However, uh, you know, you'd have to think they're going to win. And uh, the only thing is if they're off their game and the Melbourne big game players are on their game, you could get an. You could potentially get an upset. You, but you can ne- never write off in. Cameron Munster. I think. No. He's Hughes, a, Munster, Grant. Yeah, and look, Grant. Grant's a good player. I think he's a bit overrated. I think the dummy half position in general is probably just a bit weaker than it has been in the past in recent, uh, or not recent, recent because you know Cam Siff was there. But going back a bit beyond that, I think it's been stronger. But Grant's great, uh, great in, in sort of bursts. I think he struggled in the eighty-minute role. Uh, but mm. uh, I just look at that team and my eyes just gravitate to the number six. If he's been so quiet for the last few weeks, if he if he if they are to win, he has to have a whale of a game, and we know he's capable of it. He might be the the freakiest big game player in the competition. Uh, Munster is you know just so hard to contain when he's on song, and uh, I think Melbourne are going to need him to be uh, eleven out of ten on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. look, Melbourne. The upset can happen if Melbourne are at their absolute best, especially those star players. 
but conversely, they need the Panthers to be a little bit off their game. Um, mm. You know what? What the heck? I'll. I don't really think this, but I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna push for the <laughs> the upset to go the upset for for your man Cameron Munster to have an absolute blinder mm-hmm. and uh, the Storm to win by uh, six points. Craig, uh, Craig, you are Craig. You just gave the, <laughs> you just gave your, your, <laughs> your predictions, Quint. How do you see this one playing out, mate? Uh, I, I would uh, love to say that I share Craig's optimism for that result because I would love to deny Penrith the opportunity of a three-peat and let that... Um, moment of history remain in Parramatta's hands as the last team to do that. However, um, uh, the way that I see this is, and I say this for both games as well, there would have to be a real disruption to regular programming. And I'm talking um, a try that happens against the run of play that shocks um, the likes of the Panthers and the Broncos. Um, And then subsequent points after that to really throw them off their game for there to be shock results from, from my perspective. I think Penrith wins. I think they win handsomely. Uh, I think they're winning 30 to 10. I'm seeing James Fisher-Harris doing some uh, damage up the middle with the, the eye of the tiger and, and, um, and uh, very aggressive um, throughout that, um, that middle third. Um, and, I, I, yeah, I see them winning 30 to 10 uh, with a first prize score of Peruva. Very nice. Um, yeah, I think that the Panthers are going to be too strong. Um, I would love to see this. It feels weird to say I would love to see the Storm win this one, um, <laughs> given, given our history there. But dirty, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that we, you know, strange bedfellows and all that sort of thing. Um, but <laughs> the yeah. enemy of my enemy is. My <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Panthers are going to be well too strong. I suppose the only question here is if there is a injury to Luai. I know they've got uh, Cogger on the bench, but that sort of reshuffle can, you know, player comes in cold, uh, not necessarily prep the tackle on the team. The way it would be if he was training as a starter. I don't know. But I, I think that the uh, the Panthers will win and win well. Um, in terms of their best player, uh, you know, they've got, you got likes of Cleary, Dylan Edwards. They're always uh, very, very easy options there. Maybe Liam Martin might be... This is the sort of game where they, you know, there's going to be a bit of fire and brimstone. A bit of niggle. Yeah, uh, I think that Liam Martin will thrive in that sort of setting. Um, so maybe he'll be their best on field. All right, boys, let's move on to the second game, which I believe should be the Brisbane Broncos versus New Zealand Warriors, unless something's changed in the last two minutes. Um, this one <laughs> happening, obviously, on the Saturday night, 7.50pm kickoff, and probably the more interesting of the two games. Uh, despite the better like uh, competitiveness between the two rosters, there is not much difference in the betting lines. Uh, the Panthers are 119, the Broncos are 126, so it's very... Short price favourites on both sides here. One v two seems the uh, by far and away clear premiership favourites, obviously. Um, but looking at these two teams, they're, they're two of the more well balanced teams left in the finals. Um, Walsh versus Clockstar, Arthurs and Cobo versus Montoya and Routine Zelezniak. Um And probably Montoya is probably the, the smallest name or the, the least hyped name out mm. there. He's had a very good season. He's a really solid player. Very good. Um, uh, it would give the, the nod to the Broncos in the, in the centres, though. Stags and Farnworth is formidable. Barry and Pompey are probably kind of like our Newcastle two guys, really punching above their weight and having great seasons, uh, more so than um, being consistently at that sort of level. Um, in the halves, T 
Tamara Martin is going to have a big job to do as he lines up alongside Sean Johnson. Ezra Mam and Adam Reynolds will be on the other side. Front row, uh, Flegler, Haas, Adam Fenor, Blake. That's an all-star trio there across the two teams. Mitchell Barnett's not chump change either. Now, there was some talk about Wade Egan maybe being the Dalian hooker of the year, boys. He'll be in the number nine for the Warriors up against Billy Walters on the other side. In the back row, it's Capewell, Ricky and Carrigan up against Ford, Niacore and Harris. Uh, obviously, Capewell and Par- Carrigan, the two big vets there, even though Carrigan's fairly young. Ricky's having a, a big turnaround season for him. Has been a defensive turnstile in the past, been much more consistent there. Probably the best kick-chasing forward in the competition now. He's really been the standard for the Broncos in that regard. And on the other side, obviously, we've got a soft spot for Murata, the hitman, the enforcer. He really toes that line between what's legal in terms of the high shots, but sets the tone because of it, and he's been instrumental. Um, I know they've paid a high price to secure him, um, and maybe that contract in terms of legacy hurts him down the road, but right now has been a huge pickup for them, uh, been outstanding for him, old Murata. And then on the interchange, Smoothie, Piyakura, Heverington, and Palacia up against the super utility walker, Jazz Tafunga, who is another utility. I know he plays lock and, and dummy half, but two utilities there for the, the Warriors. Maybe that hurts them. Uh, Bailey Sirinan and Josh Curran round out their interchange. There is a distinct lack of big middles on their bench. Um, wow. Mm. I didn't realize how their bench... I mean, I know, I know Curran's a big unit that can play in the middle, uh, but Bailey Sirinan, yeah... I don't know. I, I was actually surprised. I'm surprised at that bench construction there. Uh, but they've got Jared Sutton in charge of this one, and you're hoping this one's the close game, or, well, either that or the Warriors spank him, but at least it's a competitive game to watch because I fear that the Friday night game is going to be a non-competitive one and uh, leaving this one to sort of salvage the grand final qualifiers. Yeah. Look, I think the reality is that we're looking at the Broncos being just as strongly favoured as the Panthers, So, just as I did in the first one, and for a point of difference, even though I don't, I don't truly believe it, I will (laughs) find a way where I will tip the Warriors, because the Broncos have a bad game coming. That's my. That's going to be my theory. There is a lot of a lot of pressure on this team. I mean, they've, they've sort of they've breezed through the regular season. They've turned things around. Walters has gone from being on the chopping block to being a potential coach of the year candidate. Um, and the funny thing is, I don't think much has changed. You know, the same players that were criticising Kevy for not being a good coach, like Cobo, are still on the team. Just the yep. the team's gotten a lot better in general. Um, yeah, I think they've been up. I think they've been up for a long time. Yeah. Um, if there's if there's pressure that's applied, if something doesn't quite go right this week. I would see them maybe having a little bit of a, a collapse, mm-hmm. and um, and then it's up the wires. Up the wires. I, I, I'm actually going to tip the Warriors too. I, I think that even the Broncos are a better team, but I think they don't need to be. It doesn't need to be a full on collapse for the Warriors to get a foot in the door here. I think if there's just a they're half a step behind where they need to be, the Broncos. I think this team is good enough to challenge them. So. Yeah, I'm going to tip a Warriors upset here too. I mean, it'd be great for the game as well. Uh, the, everything that New Zealand sacrificed over the last few years, uh, get them into the big dance and a chance to grow the game over in New Zealand. Uh, you know, it's not should not be wasted. Um, Quint, how do you see this one playing out, mate? You, you joining uh-huh. join the bandwagon? You're going to go up the the Warriors, up the Bros, uh, uh, or do you think that the villains prevail? Yes to the bandwagon. My heart absolutely says yes to the bandwagon. My head 
sees that Brisbane with a week off and at Suncorp Stadium, even um, accounting for um, potentially being down on, um, yeah, and I do like the, the, the supposition that you put there, Craig, and them having an off night. That'd be absolutely wonderful. Because um, I'd love, uh, you know, of, of the remaining four teams, I'd love to see the Warriors win it. But um, I just see Brisbane being too strong. Uh, they, they are a very well balanced side. And um, yeah, there's just, I, 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 I think it's kind of been a fait accompli that it would be a Panthers Broncos grand final for probably the better part of the last um, 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, I haven't seen anything to change that. That doesn't mean I don't hope that something different happens, but I see, I see it being tight for Brisbane eventually breaking away and winning at 24 14. I see Reese Walsh being that difference maker and having a man of the match moment. And uh, my first try scorer is a, a one time Eels recruitment target, Herbie Farnworth. Geez, that would be some salt in the wound for us, wouldn't it? We all have high opinions uh, of Herbie, but it wasn't to be for the Parramatta Eels. And I suppose that there's a little question before we finish up that I'll I pose you guys, given that the Broncos spent some time in the wilderness before arriving here. Would you, would you be content for Parramatta to spend the similar sort of two, three years? struggling the way the Broncos did if it meant developing these young kids and putting them in a position where A, they get really good and B, you keep them to challenge the premiership? Or do you, do you want the Eels to be competitive every season and that, well, that should be the standard to be competitive every season and develop these kids? Well, look, I think the Broncos have had players who are state of origin players in development. And in fact, I would have even argued that uh, in the last couple of years, those same players, uh, some of them were underperforming badly. Mm-hmm. So I probably wouldn't want the Eels to go through something similar because I don't think I would be happy with players of potential underperforming for a period mm. of time. Uh, but that's just me. I mean, um, I, I think... I think the Broncos, when you when you look at their team, and it's and it's not just this top team. There's some genuine depth in positions where Corey Oates, uh, Corey Oates is playing, and he'd walk into our team. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think they're I think they're beyond having a few. They've been beyond having a few uh, promising players that you don't know um, what their ceiling might be, and I think that's where the Eels are at right now where we're looking at the eels players and going there is an we believe we think very strongly feel there's an nrl future for this player and that player and what have you but as you know predicting someone to graduate from junior pathways into the nrl is such an inexact science that it's um it's it's fraught with so many dangers those players that the broncos have had a number of them have been playing first grade for some time and it's simply taken them a little bit longer to become the players that they should be and then you throw in players in amongst them like Reese Walsh who himself has was a young Broncos star anyway but you throw him in there as an absolute match winner you throw in a couple of old hard heads in Capel and Reynolds and you all of a sudden you go from having a team of underperforming potential superstar players into a team which is sat up near the top of the table 
virtually for the season. And as I said to you, in reality, I think they win and win well, but I think they're due for a bad one. And whether it's this week or whether it's the grand final, they're gonna. I'm I'm going to predict they're going to have a bad one before the end of the season. Yeah, I I think that's definitely within the realms of possibility, if not probability. Mm. Um, it's a team that has not tasted a lot of success, and when you get the spotlight put on you, it's difficult to perform, um, especially yep. when you you're, you're realistically yep. you're going up against an absolute juggernaut in Penrith next week, um, and you've got you know a very plucky team in the Warriors right now. Um, but sort of as a follow up to that question. And I think it was a fair response, 60s, that you know the Eels should not have to even consider going into the wilderness the way the Broncos did while developing their kids. Um, we, tick, we talk about Reese Walsh a lot. If there is a, a Reese Walsh-esque player out there who is 16, 17 years old uh, and you know, there's an opportunity to sign him, I, I don't know if there is one, right? This is pure hypothetical. What, what sort of... Give, like We know it's inexact. We know there's no guarantee he's going to be Reese Walsh 2.0. But if the Eels are serious about getting this X Factor player, and they they need to have this you know young talent, what's the budget for a player like that these days? Like, what are you content with the club signing a seventeen year old potential wonder kind to, knowing that some of the contracts we see these days before I even played an NRL game can be quite crazy? Yeah, I think the, I think the deal with someone like that, is, what you offer them in the second, third, or fourth year. Mm. And if they are, and then you'd maybe have a clause in there about their their graduation to that level uh, within the team. So I, I think they are, for mine, they'd be contracts which are structured differently and that the reward is there for them playing first grade in those uh, future years. So, yeah, if you're talking about a younger player, it's just done differently. It's not done. It's not about the amount of money, um, really, until it becomes that second, third, fourth year. That'd be that'd be my way of thinking, anyway. And you just make it so attractive that you take the pressure off them in the first year, and then say, "Here come the rewards in the years after that." So that'd be that'd be the way I see it. All righty, that's a good answer and a nice way to wrap things up, I believe, fellas. So on that note, a uh, second shout-out to our sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta, helping us get the content out to you guys to listen to. Uh, and on that note, boys, yeah, if my computer making an alert noise for whatever reason, sorry about that, um, let's farewell and sign off. And unfortunately, no more Parramatta football to talk about until the preseason, or I suppose uh, potentially the representative squad's pick for uh, the international series coming up uh, post-NRL completion. But, yeah, we've got no flag, no NRLW, um, not much to talk about in terms of footy boys. I'm sure every week there's going to be something about the Eels that we'll be able to talk about, something somewhere. <laughs> so, so all that our followers need to do is to know... Um, I'm going to head to the Cumberland Throw for the podcast Which, and any news that, that comes our way. Hopefully won't be down for another two days after a plug-in crashed the website. So uh, <laughs> it's all yeah. all happening for TCT. <laughs> As always, thanks for stopping by giving us a listen. Um, and I'll let 60s finish us off. Go, you mighty eels. <laughs>